Yeah, yeah. You can send all compliments of me to me and all criticisms of Zach to me and all criticisms of me you can put in your diary and then burn. Thank you. Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Pocklip. I'm Amanda Luberto. And today we're doing a movie swap of a couple of love stories. I watched Brokeback Mountain for the first time. And Amanda, what did you watch? I watched Love and Basketball. Two bangers once again. We're back at the movie swaps. Um, it's good to see you, friend. It's our first time recording in 2022, even though we've had two episodes drop. Um, but before we get to that, how are you? What you been watching? Doing good. I have actually not watched a lot of movies lately. I think because at the end of each year, I'm like rushing to to get as many movies in as possible to A, yes. have like a best of the year list and also be like vamp up my like how many movies I watched that year list. So the beginning of the year, I usually watch a lot of television to like sort of balance it out. So I've only watched a couple of movies, a lot of them rewatches just for some comfort films, but... I've been watching the two biggest shows on television right now, which is Yellow Jackets on Showtime and Station Eleven on HBO Max, and they're both like 10 out of 10. Let us not forget that Amanda is first and foremost a TV person doing a movie podcast with me because she's a good friend. Um, maybe I, love, one I love movies as well. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love those, TV too, but I just yeah, I'm bad at it. Those two have really just been inignorable so i've been making my time for for those two at the moment station 11 is like one of the most beautiful pieces of like film i've watched in a long time maybe one of these will do like a tv season swap don't get me started or like zach watches all of lost (laughs) i was like we'll have to make it like a limited series swap or something because like early television is like 24 one hour episodes well no here's the thing you you can watch all of one tree hill and i'll watch all of lost it's the Excellent. same prestige type of television in my mind i think it's fair god that sounds so exhausting yep <laughs> i don't know how tv people do it man i don't know how y'all do it um, all right friend how are you what have you been watching i know you've been watching movies i'm so tired um but yeah i'm, I'm good <laughs> I'm also tired. Uh, but, yeah just uh watching so i watched throne of blood the Akira Kurosawa adaptation of Macbeth. But before that, I watched The Tragedy of Macbeth with Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Because as I admitted in our group chat, I have no familiarity with The Tragedy of Macbeth. Shakespeare, what a storyteller. What a guy. <laughs> what a guy. Uh, good one. I watched Stand By Me. Excellent movie. Way sadder than I expected. I didn't know what I was expecting, but um, shout out to movies that are love letters to the last time you and your friends played outside. My also fun watch- fact about Stand By Me is that it's Stephen King's favorite adaptation of anything that he's ever written. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I also watched Shiva Baby as oh, I was yeah. catching up on 2021 releases. That one's rock solid. That one's so funny. I love comedies edited like horror movies, even though I don't like horror movies. So another one like that is like Game Night is a movie I think of yeah. when I was watching it. I mean, so far this year, I think I've only watched like five or six movies, including movies for our swap. And then I watched like two or three Avengers movies just like at the end of like a stressful night where like it doesn't matter if I'm watching three fourths of it or not. I can just kind of (laughs) tune in and out. 
Um, but that's been nice. This is like a different thing than than like comfort movie. But like, what's your? I'm kind of going insane right now, and I'm just gonna keep rewatching these like two movies. Do you have that? Um, or is I, it just like rewatching Lost? Yeah, it's it's honestly it's Lost and it's uh, Law and Order SVU. Like that's oh, like, yeah. you know, I'm like not in a good mental spot. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm on season two of Law and Order again. <laughs> because <laughs> i've already seen it all so many times <laughs> anyway good god um we're swapping movies <laughs> movies movies. It's, it's february love is in the air and so we decided to swap some two love stories why don't you uh continue talking about why we decided to pair these movies so we're swapping some love stories love is in the air as zach mentioned um Brokeback Mountain is a very revolutionary love story as far as cinema is concerned. Um it's also extremely beautiful and it was in Zach's blind spot and I was very excited to show it to him for the first time. And Love and Basketball is like a well-known cult classic like not only a love story but a sports story and just like a general movie that I knew I had to watch, but I just had never gotten to it. And so when we wanted to swap some some good love stories that felt real to us, these were the two that came to mind. So that's why we've got them both together. So let's do a coin flip and see which movie we're going to talk about first. All right, let's do it. Call it. Uh, heads. It is heads. So you get to choose which love story we're talking about first. I'm going to go off the norm. And we're going to talk about love and basketball first. Oh, let's fucking go, dude. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Amanda, you watch love and basketball for the first time. It's awesome, baby, with a capital A in my mind. But uh, why don't you give us the plot summary of what happened? All right. I'm going to try to go through this quick. It's the longest plot summary I've ever written. So, which is funny. It's not that complicated of a movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. As children, Monica moves in next door to Quincy. We play a game of basketball where he pushes her down, cutting her face. Then, Q, Quincy, Q asks Monica to be his girlfriend after sharing a first kiss. Immediately after, they insult each other and fight in the grass. And then that's the end of quarter one. This movie is broken up into quarters, similar to a basketball game. The second quarter picks up with them in high school. Monica is the hot-headed star of the girls' basketball team, and Q is following in his father's footsteps, playing basketball and being a ladies' man. Monica's attitude is really hindering her relationships with scouts for college, while Q's father's connection to the NBA is helping him network and sort of get where he wants. They end up going to the prom with other people, but they kind of can't keep their eyes off of each other all night. It's pretty obvious. Uh, the night ends with them outside their childhood bedrooms, finding out that Monica was accepted to USC to play basketball along with Q and them having sex with each other for the first time, which is very sweet. Third quarter happens. It picks up and they're both playing basketball at USC and they're in a relationship with each other. Monica is having a hard time adjusting, really being pushed by her coach. Q is big man on campus playing basketball instantly and girls are flirting with him left and right. Quincy is knocked down a peg when he finds out that his father, who he idolizes, has been cheating on his mother and his parents' relationship isn't really what he thought it is. And, you know, his ideal version of being a man is not, you know, what he was told. Um, he's distracted and he starts playing badly, feeling very emotional from this news. At the same time, Monica is getting a big break on the team and has a chance to start. She's quickly rising to star success and is really thriving. So it's sort of they're flipping roles in that way. 
Quincy is feeling disregarded and clearly flirts with other girls in front of Monica to get her attention and then announces sort of emotionally that he's dropping out of college to play professional basketball. Then the two of them break up. The fourth and final quarter starts with Monica playing basketball professionally in Barcelona. She gets to beat a girl from her college team that was really tough on her for the championship and expresses after this when they hang out that she's actually feeling very burnt out on playing basketball. Meanwhile, in back in the United States, Q is playing in the NBA but is having a hard time. You know, they announced that he has played on a couple different teams, so it doesn't seem very steady. He tears his ACL, and Monica flies back to L.A. to see him. Here she learns that Quincy is engaged to somebody else, who is Tyra Banks. I thought that was funny. Uh, Monica fights with her mom that she never really stood up for anything, while her mom argues having a loving family was enough for her. Um, Sort of in this light, Monica then settles into quote-unquote regular life, After a while, her mom sees how unhappy she is with this choice and encourages her to fight for her love and to fight for, like, basketball also. Days before Quincy is set to marry Tyra Banks, Monica explains how she is still in love with him and challenges him to a basketball game. The stakes are his love. If she wins, then they get back together. Monica loses, indicating that Quincy will marry Tyra Banks, but after a beautiful swell of music... Quincy says double or nothing and asks for another game, which insists that he loves her and wanted her to win. Uh, The movie ends with Monica being announced for the Sparks uh, with her married hyphenated name with her and Quincy and Quincy and their daughter cheer her on from the sidelines. Did that take forever? (laughs) I mean, you basically summed up every single part of the movie, so it it was a properly (laughs) long summation but yeah you, you i mean you hit everything it was very I feel detailed. like there wasn't a part of that i could leave out that would make the next part make sense so i just kept going <laughs> it's kind of I like it. i respect it it's a good one yeah there wasn't a lot of like yada yada i could do it all pretty is it's all pretty relevant yeah, a lot of plot to this movie yeah yeah <laughs> so why did you pick this movie uh why did you want me to watch it absolutely iconic movie it's an iconic sports movie it's an iconic love story it's about black love it's about gender roles um two awesome performances from omar epps and sanaa lathan every basketball player loves this movie candace parker talks about how you know she grew up wanting to be monica and she it's in the canon i guess it's like in the top tier of basketball movies there's not a ton of them like there's like a million great baseball movies but it is one of the best basketball movies for sure yeah i mean that's always like what i've heard it's on like every list of like best sports movies a lot of like romance movies like it gets brought up a lot and so i i've always heard about it and um it is like a little bit of a cult classic. So I'm glad that I finally got to, <laughs> I had the push to like take it off my list. And just a rock solid soundtrack, but we'll get to all of this. Um, for when you watched it for the first time, what were those early impressions? What stood out to you? Yeah. So this movie was extremely lovely. I was a little, not worried is not the right word, but I was a, a touch apprehensive that basketball is not something like culturally that I am well inundated with. I have a lot of friends who are into basketball, you included. So like I understand some of it. Obviously, I understand like how like how the game is played, but I was worried that it would be like so much of a basketball movie that I might not grasp it as well as people who are really into basketball. But there were no issues. I had a great time. And it's mostly because like while this movie is about basketball and it is about their love, like it's about the it's about Monica. Like it's really mm-hmm. Monica's story. And like 
a young girl going after what she wants while also balancing love is like that's that's universal like it kind of doesn't matter where where you plug the other things in so i thought it was really really nice and the thing that i really came away with is like i believe these people are in love like this was a really the actors really sold these characters falling in love like it felt extremely genuine and that is i think sometimes hard to do in you know, a quote unquote rom-com or like a romance movie in general is that I think sometimes they get lost on me because it just feels like two people playing dress up and like this really didn't. I was like, are they married in real? Like there's this is so beautiful. This love story mm-hmm. is so good. Um, So that was like something I've really thought like has stuck with me a lot since uh, finishing it. And then I really enjoyed, obviously, the, like, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. Like, that was very cute. I'm, I, like, relates to basketball, and I like that. And we've talked many times on this podcast how we like when movies are sort of broken up into, like, sections like that. Like, that's, like, Love a, a movie in chapters. Yeah, like, that's, like, a fun movie thing that happens sometimes. But I appreciated and I really liked that it wasn't, like, the time between each one wasn't very, wasn't even. It was regulated two sections of their love story Mm -hmm. um and that felt very like true to life that it's not always going to be like balanced and you know sometimes you go five years without seeing each other and then the next chapter starts and i thought that was like a really nice way to do it instead of like you know this time then five years later then this time then five years later like yeah the time was doled out differently which i thought was a good idea what that was kind of born out of was the director, Gina Prince Bythewood. Uh, she wanted to make a black When Harry Met Sally. Like that was one of the things she was kind of inspired by was, you know, these two people whose lives keep kind of crossing over. And obviously it's different because this is literally the boy and girl next door kind of love. But yeah, like you said, it, the the connection between Omar Epps and Sonali is so strong. Like even from when they're in high school and they they care about each other, but they're trying to not care about each other too much because that's what you do when you're a senior in high school. I think the sex scene in this movie is really tender and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Maxwell covering a Kate Bush song. Shout out to and Kate Bush. It, actually, I read that in that scene, um, the MPAA wanted to give this an R rating because that sex scene was like too real, even though there's no nudity in it. Yeah. Um, so they cut out like a couple shots and, and they kind of kept the, you know, tenderness the actual like i mean he like it's it's like it's just straight of life he, he's like very kind and considerate of her he like they like put in the movie like hold up i'm gonna put on a condom that was definitely something i noticed watching it was i was like oh you never see that and i i love it because it also made like i keep saying like the real the characters felt really rooted in reality and like mm-hmm. i i feel like these are two people who are real who are in love and like mm-hmm. in real love <laughs> you wear protection and like it's not like it doesn't always have to be like weird awkward fumbling but it always it isn't always like hot and sexy like Mm -hmm. it just is like something that happens and i thought that was really a good touch that that was in here um yeah and and there's like a really good way to put it and i just love uh the way that this movie looks at gender roles and it looks at masculinity it looks at um, femininity and how those things aren't terrible, but they're also not, you know, cookie cutter. And um, even down to Monica being the one to break up the the engagement. Like usually, it's not the woman coming in and and fighting for her man. It's usually like the graduate, where you have Dustin Hoffman coming and ruining a wedding. And and Gina almost had Q 
come get Monica in like an original ending. And then when she brought that to the Sundance studio, they were like, you have such a progressive movie. Like, no, like switch, switch it, do something different than that. And I mean, the fact that Sonali can read, I'll play you for your heart. And it's not incredibly corny is great job by her. <laughs> it was, uh, so that's sort of, you know, our next prompt of what have I thought about most since watching the movie? The number one thing is like how enticing these two actors are. Mm -hmm. Um, I hadn't seen, and I still haven't seen anything else that they're in, even though they both have had like extremely solid careers and it's not like a one and done sort of situation. So for me, like these two actors really became these two characters and I wasn't thinking about like, oh, well that's actually Brad Pitt or like whatever. Like I was very locked into like, that is Monica and Quincy. Like that is what's going on. And mm -hmm. they've known each other since they were 11 and they've always had feelings for each other. And and he can tease her senior year of high school about her attitude because he's known her attitude, even if they're not that close. And like when you grow up next door to each other, even if you're not super close, like he'll always give her a ride home because like they're neighbors and like they've known each I other. I loved whatever he... Uh climbs out of his window when his parents are fighting and just knocks in her window and automatically yeah. it's just okay you're you're here again here's a pillow here's some blankets i like that that part was in high school before they were intimate that they still had so much like care and love for each other mm -hmm. and it's because they they know each other they've understood each other their whole lives and like by the time quincy could even like have feelings about his parents fighting like he probably had already shared that with Monica. Like that is like not something you have to explain to someone you've known that long. And I, I loved that part too. I thought that was like really touching and it's, it's just music. Like there's no conversation, but you understand everything about their relationship um, at that chapter during that time because of that scene. To your point of not knowing the actors very well, I, I, Omar Epps like kind of ruled the nineties. Like he's in so many, big time movies like he comes in with juice um, which is probably a movie we'll get to in this podcast at some point um, it's funny he also plays a character named q but he, he's in the program he's in major league two he's in scream two he's in yeah i mean like i said like these two characters or these two actors definitely have had a very solid career and it's by my own blind spots that i hadn't seen them in anything um before or if i had i it didn't stick with me as much but i think that made me buy into this relationship even easier because i they were just like those characters to me yeah and, and again sanaa lathan is awesome like you said this is really monica's story like this is really looking at a story that we don't see a lot because we didn't see a lot of women's basketball stories and we still yeah. don't see a lot of women's basketball stories no. in movies. But um, I was I thinking mean, it, like, it even like when they break up, like we don't follow him to the NBA or how he's dealing with his dad or, or any of those sorts of relationships, which like we easily could have intermingled with like, and they do, they touch on a little bit, but like when we come back to each chapter, it is about her. It's her moving in. It's her, starting on the basketball team it's her yeah. trying to deal with being on this usc team and it's her like being in barcelona like the movie it, is about her it's a little bit of that sports movie trope of the underdog and women's basketball as a sport is an underdog like she talks about it when they're in high school like q can you know pump his chest and get into somebody's face and if monica does that it's a technical foul or you yeah. see when they're at usc and playing games Obviously, Quincy is at the the arenas and they're filled and there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. And at the women's basketball games, they're literally in an auxiliary gym. You know, Q doesn't have a good career, but he's still in the NBA. Monica is a star and she has to go overseas. Like the lens that they kind of put on 
women's basketball and women's basketball players and the path they have to take is really cool part of this story too because for a long time like you know honestly as a that's that's the view i had of like women's basketball of like oh that that sucks they have to do all these things that kind of suck and like it's because that wasn't a, a window uh that i was kind of privy to so not Lathan does show up in succession i don't know if you know knew that oh i'll have to she's the she's the lawyer that they go to early in season three. Oh yeah totally yeah yeah Oh, that's um, awesome. But, but I yeah. mean, like, that's sort of, I mean, I grew up in Phoenix. And so, but you're also a sports fan. Like, you'll understand, like, people, me included, always comment, like, how terrible Phoenix sports are. And it's like this curse that we have. And like, meanwhile, <laughs> Mercury is like one of the best basketball teams in like America. Like, mm-hmm. it, if we just like looked at women's sports, we wouldn't be so depressed. But also like like last year when the Suns made a run for the playoffs, everyone was like, the first playoff push in so long. And other people were like, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, I mean like in in the top four men's sports, yes. But also we have like one of the best WNBA teams and like arena football teams in like the whole country. What are yeah. you talking about? The fun part about this movie and whenever it was being created was um, when the director was, when she was writing it, the WNBA didn't exist yet. So they didn't have this coda part to the movie. Um, And so the WNBA started play in 1997 and this movie obviously comes out in 2000. And so it was so popular. It was like on all the billboards. I was on commercials for the NBA and they were actually using love and basketball to promote the WNBA. Like there's a bunch of these commercials where the little girl who plays young Monica is like interviewing the stars of the WNBA and kind of being like a snarky kid and stuff like that. Like this movie immediately just is tied to professional basketball and like co-signed by all these things. And, and that's really, really fun. That's so cool. I, I had no idea the NBA, I had no idea the WNBA was so young. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think this past season or this upcoming season, they'll be celebrating their 25th anniversary of existing um we're both older than the wnba (laughs) exactly yeah exactly and 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 that's the crazy part too that's why it's i mean shout out to las vegas aces just got to get that in there but um yeah it's an integral part like i said candace parker one of the greatest women's basketball players alive right now um talks about this movie lovingly and like how much it like when she was 14 she wanted to be monica it's like it's like boxers all wanting to be rocky or something like that's how big this movie is I mean, our last podcast, our cold open was about Diana Taurasi. So this, yeah. <laughs> this podcast obviously is pro women's sports. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What, so what else have you thought about? That, another thing I've really thought about is that I'm not extraordinarily knowledgeable about basketball, but it's so hard to get out of my life because of everyone in my life. Not that I'm actively trying to push it out of my life, but I have noticed things obviously um but the basketball was really good um i think that sometimes sports movies can get really stuck in sort of like the disneyfication of sports or like this sort of like magical miracle version of sports like they'll hit the home run that's impossible when the crowd dies down and even though miracle on ice actually happened like the the way that it shot is like that's just like that's not how hockey works mm-hmm. and like i love that this felt extremely real like mm-hmm. from like the little kids playing pickup to like the two of them playing one on one and like the college games and like you mentioned like 
the women's games and the men's games being treated differently in college, I thought was really important. And um, the high school sports, I thought was really solid. And I don't know anything about like international women's basketball, but I assume like as it continued that that was also pretty represented well. But I thought like the actual playing of basketball felt more like watching a real basketball game than Mm -hmm. most sports get played in movies. And what I love too is that the longer you get into the movie, the less basketball there is. Like in high school, you see, you know, you play a full like fourth quarter basically with Monica. But yeah, the longer we go, like we don't even see the European Championship game. We see Quincy in the NBA on a TV in the bar. But the director, obviously, she wanted to have to make sure that Monica wasn't whack. Like she was like, if Monica's whack, like if she doesn't look good playing basketball, she's going to set women's sports back like 10 years just because she knew like how much pressure was on this movie. And so it came down to Sanaa Lathan and uh, they were also testing this uh, high school basketball player in New York City. Like I, I can't remember her name, but she was like the leading point scorer in the New York City public school system, like for all of New York City high school, which is That's insane. Wild. And so she was working with an acting coach and Sanaa Lathan was working with at first her brother and then was like, hey, if you guys want me to be in this movie, hire me a trainer. So they got a assistant coach from the L.A. Sparks. And I forget who told Gina Prince Bay with this, but she was like, you can fake a jump shot. You can't fake a close up. And that's ultimately why Sanaa Lathan got picked. And Sanaa Lathan's giving interviews because there was a lot of 20th anniversary stuff in the last couple of years. Um Talking about how it was it was really hard because she was surrounded by all these basketball players and she was just trying to hang and also give this performance and like it was kind of a miserable experience for her. And I don't think she's picked up a basketball since filming this movie. But I mean she like you said, she delivers. Like she looks so solid. Like it's not over exaggerated. It's very grounded. And I love how they show like the minutiae, like her working in the gym, Quincy recovering from his knee injury. It's a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that isn't as magnified when it comes to movies or tv shows yeah and i really liked um them showing her relationship with her teammates too i thought that was yeah uh, good um so we touched on it a little bit but something else that really stood out to me um that i've been thinking a lot about is just the soundtrack like the soundtrack rips it starts off with that um al green song and it never really stops ripping from the moment it starts and um apparently a lot of people agreed um it reached number 45 on the billboard charts at one point the whole soundtrack like that's pretty impressive Mm -hmm. and um i just really wanted to call it out i thought it's great it has a lot of i assume at the time another section of culture i'm not super knowledgeable on is like hip-hop but i imagine it's like taking hip-hop artists from that time and putting them in but it's very of that time um but it felt very like rooted in whatever era we were in when i think of this movie the musical cue i think of is whenever they're at the dance and zap and rogers i want to be your man is playing which is iconic i great song first of all shout out zap and roger and then um that moment in general uh was was great so i really enjoyed the soundtrack and then um even though as asu students we are meant to hate the usc um the early 2000s usc especially like their jerseys and their logos and stuff like it's so cool like it's such a stylistic logo damn it do you know this about me that i love usc you do i I love the fight song yeah it's a lot of it's because of mid-2000s usc football with like reggie bush and matt liner when they're awesome but yeah all the crew neck sweaters their their gear looks great southern california man they know what they're doing 
Yeah. The USC, notably the only school I didn't get into that I applied to. Wait, how many schools did you apply to? Like eight. Jesus. I was like, all right, I'm going to do the two in states and an ASU, which is not going to reject anybody. Uh, um, anyway. Yeah, um, it looks so- great. The, the, I like the women's basketball jerseys. I was like, mm-hmm. those are cool. I just thought it was uh, a good note. I dig it. I dig it. So obviously, we've talked a little bit about what we've gotten into in terms of research, but what were some of the first things you looked up about the movie? So literally, the very first thing I looked up is just a blip in the movie, but it is like a big part of my life. I had no idea, which I have, I don't know how I didn't know, that Robin Roberts had like a whole sports journalism career. It's probably what she's known for. (laughs) I didn't know that she, like when she shows up on SportsCenter in this movie, I was like, why is Robin Roberts on SportsCenter? She's a news anchor. And then I like looked her up. I was like, oh, but I'm so off. Like I had no clue. I've only ever known her as a news anchor. So it was really fun to learn about Robin Roberts' whole fucking career before she was a news anchor and that she like has a basketball history. And I had no idea about any of it. That's hilarious, first of all. Um, and second, just, did you like the part where they brought in Robin Roberts and Dick Vitale? Because I know you didn't like the similar thing about that in Creed. So I think because it's so short, it was fine. But like, I don't know who Dick Vitale, like, I don't have any relationship to that guy or what that segment was about. And it only lasted like maybe 12 seconds. So it didn't yeah. bother me that much. I did like understand later. Q made a reference to it to Monica and I was like, oh, that's the guy from before. But like, I don't know who that is. So it didn't really mean anything oh, to me. We're like, we're like, I know about Around the Horn and like PT, like I know those shows and like PTI or whatever it was. And like, I know those, uh, those are like current day people that I am knowledgeable about. And it took me out of the reality, but this isn't about Creed. This is about <laughs> love and basketball. <laughs> always, I just want to know because yeah, Dick Vitale comes in. He's a he's a he, he's a character. He's like a, a cornerstone of college basketball. Okay. And so, but if you don't know that going in, and you just see this guy who's like, oh, this is this is a PTP a primetime player. It's awesome, baby. I'm going crazy. I don't know if that's going to take you out of the movie or not. No, because also like that's all, and then it, it like never comes back. That's fair. <laughs> we like what never you- talk about it again. <laughs> <laughs> fair. What else have you looked up? I wanted to know more about the director. So Gina Prince-Bythewood, this was her directorial debut. Um, and then I was also reading that this is sort of lightly autobiographical. It's mm-hmm. more, it is more about her relationship um, in her life, which you know makes sense as to why it's a Monica movie. And I thought that was very nice, very lovely. And I have only, I think, seen maybe one or two of her other movies. Um, but now I have like... Uh, a deeper appreciation for some of the characters knowing that it's like a little bit more about her i mean mm-hmm. a la tim burton a la wes anderson like a lot of other people directors have talked about especially in your first films like putting your your own emotions into it yeah and if people haven't like looked at her career a little bit like she's had like secret life of the bees beyond the lights uh, most recently she did the old guard with charlie's Theron on netflix uh super solid career i love that like you said she's a writer director like a lot of our favorites and um what helped make this movie was spike lee co-signed it as well i wasn't aware that spike lee was a part of this movie until the credits started rolling mm-hmm. and then i was like oh nice spike that makes <laughs> sense that's cool yeah. 
yeah, I, I would encourage people to to check out more of her stuff. Uh, if anything, she she has another movie coming up called The Women King in 2022 i think uh it involves viola davis john boyega lashana lynch um so um, that should be that interesting great. were there any other like things about this movie that like you didn't get to look up or you just are this still kind of like nagging in your mind yes so as explained my relationship with basketball is pretty surface level were there references or people like dick vital that like I wouldn't have understood like when they were showing the scouts I was like are those real scouts that people would have known like I'm not sure if there was like basketball references I guess that I might have missed not really but it kind of just does justice with everything like so a part that I enjoyed about it is um, it being at USC USC especially back then was a powerhouse in women's basketball Um, like that was considered the program there's a pretty solid documentary on HBO called Women of Troy that breaks it down, but some of the players that came from there is um, Cheryl Miller, who's roundly considered the best player to never have played in the WNBA. Lisa Leslie, Tina Thompson, Cynthia Cooper. Um, their their lineage is deep, um, so I really enjoyed that part. Like between the two programs, the women's basketball program kind of has more gravitas to it than the men's, even though USC men's basketball has kind of come on in the last decade or so. Um, but I enjoyed that part a lot, and then that's really the main one, uh, other than the Dick Vitale shout. It really does capture the women's basketball experience a lot. People don't know um, a lot of professional women's players. They play in the WNBA from like April to September, and then they immediately go overseas because that's where the money's at. You know, players can make at most like low six figures in the WNBA, and then overseas in like Russia, they can make millions of dollars. But it's an isolating experience. It's far from home. It's also a lot of basketball. So hopefully we're hoping that the WNBA pay starts to up, uh, get higher as more people pay attention to it and care about it. And they can kind of, you know, be professional athletes and also have a life. I have a couple more questions. So, um, or like things I noticed, I guess, but uh, I really enjoyed that when they go to Barcelona, that like she's signing autographs and Mm -hmm. like little girls are like, very excited for her um, and to be around her. It's sort of the celebrity aspect that she wasn't going to get in America that she deserved. Um, I thought that was really nice. I sort of like noticed that when we were watching. And then is there like any, can you give me some context to the fact that Quincy's dad, Zeke, played for the Clippers? Like I've only known the Clippers since Blake Griffin was around like I don't know anything else about the Clippers was this like uh, a great team a terrible team like what does it mean about Zeke as a basketball player that he was on the Clippers the Clippers are awful they have been awful when Monica makes fun of Quincy's dad for being on the worst team in the NBA it's because the Clippers are terrible Um, in a Lakers town they're second class basically well that Um, I knew but I didn't know if that was (laughs) That's the other part I love is uh, Monica is, uh, automatically identifies as a Magic Johnson fan. Yeah. She wears 32, which was his number. A really nice nod I like was when um, in the fourth quarter when she visits Quincy in the hospital, he mentions that he tried to call her when Magic retired. And that's in reference to when Magic retired, he retired because he had contracted HIV and a lot of people thought Magic was going to die. And so it was like a very tragic moment for Lakers fans, for NBA fans. And so, you know, Quincy, knowing how much Monica loves Magic Johnson, even though they hadn't spoken in years, of course he would call. Magic Johnson, notable MSU Spartan. All I know about Magic Johnson is MSU Spartan, Laker. I mean, <laughs> and great Twitter follow. Great Twitter follow. Okay. Uh, I like. I didn't know about the HIV thing. I didn't know that like they thought he might die. Like I, 
Is he alive? Yeah. Like, I don't know anything about Magic Johnson, to be honest. <laughs> he, yes, he is still alive. Uh, okay, he good. was recently the general manager of the Lakers. Oh, um, nice. oh I think I saw that. That makes sense. If you've seen the meme where he, like, it's a guy going, it's like a basketball video, and the guy's like, hee hee, when he's talking about <laughs> passing the ball. Do you know what I'm talking about at all? That one doesn't register. So <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, and the fact that uh, Quincy ends up playing for the Lakers is, is yeah. kind of ironic as well. Um, yeah. Kind of a side note that is also ironic and that I love is when they first meet when they're younger and kind of try to date as a five-year-old. Um, they're 11. As, like ten, as 11-year-olds, whatever. They're counting while they're kissing, which is I think is adorable. So cute. Um, but Quincy is like, I'm going to be in the NBA and you're going to be my cheerleader. And at the end of the movie, Monica's in the WNBA and who's on the sidelines cheering her on? It's Quincy. That's um, very knows? cute. Yeah. I don't know if Quincy's basketball career continues because the the – seasons alternate so he, he could still be playing basketball but that's not the point um, yeah. the point is that he is finally there for monica cheering her on which he hadn't been doing the entire movie like even in high school he's like in the middle of her game he's like peacing out and trying to leave and all that stuff so like flirting um, with other girls and yeah yeah he's shout out gabrielle union um shout out gabrielle role. union <laughs> yeah we talked a lot about um the two main actors um omar epps and sanan lathan but i do want to say like the the rest of the cast I thought was oh, yeah. pretty stacked. Obviously, I mentioned Tyra Banks like four times just because she stood out to me the most. But we, oh, I have um, a point about that. I think it's hilarious that Tyra Banks plays a character whose name is spelled K Y R A, and it's not Kyra; it's Kira. <laughs> just do Kyra. That's a good point. <laughs> anyway, That's keep continuing. So obviously, those the the two actors that play the main characters, like we've talked a lot about them, and I think obviously they drove the movie. It's about them, but I thought that everyone around them, like the supporting cast, is also really stacked. I loved um, Kyla Pratt playing young Monica mm-hmm, Wright. Mm-hmm. Shout out the Proud Family. Um, <laughs> And I I had texted you, I like found out on my own that Dennis Haysbird um, plays Zeke and is also the Allstate guy, which he also has a full career, but like that's... How- He's the Allstate guy, yeah, unfortunately <laughs> for him. Guy. And like as soon as he started talking, I was like, oh, it's the Allstate guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry to him. He like has a full actual like developed career, but... That's the afro he has in the first quarter is hilarious. That's like where I know him. Um, Gabriel Union plays the girl that Hugh goes to prom with. That was great. Um, Regina Hall plays Monica's sister. She's obviously of note. I talked about Tyra Banks. I thought even though the movie is about the two of them, all of the people around them are are really good. Yeah, and that's something that also ties with these two movies that we're talking about is the casts are like incredibly stacked in the supporting yeah. roles but i also wanted to shout out alfrey woodard who plays monica's mom i love the scene where monica finally confronts her mom about like never supporting her in basketball and and alfrey woodard and her and sanaa lathan kind of duke it out it's kind of like the thesis of the movie in a way yeah and like the sub thesis i guess because it's obviously about q and monica's love story but there's also this like expectations of a woman and is it possible to be a woman and have a career and the sacrifices that that entails and their scene that they have in there is like is is beautiful and intense and you can tell there's a lot of love there but also a lot of frustration and it doesn't say like this answer is better than the other one Really, um, yeah. it, like Alfred Woodard gets to her character gets to have a voice of like, you know what? I took care of my family, and that's the most I could do, and that's all I could do. And Monica wants different than that, and and she sees it as more, but it, it is different. Um, and I think 
giving both of those sides of that argument a clear voice was kind of articulated and really well done. I think that um, coming off of that as well, you know, we talked earlier about how Gina Prince-Bythewood has gotten a lot of credit for this movie being extremely progressive, but just like another progressive point for this movie to come out in the in 2000 and for there to be a scene where women can choose career and they can choose family and both can be very rewarding mm-hmm. and neither of them is losing out on one or the other. I think that that is something people are still wrapping their heads around right now and is not being shown in uh, a lot of cinema. Um, And I think our generation of women and the women, like the older women that I was like told to look up to have this like Wonder Woman complex of like needing to be the best mom and the, and the CEO and working out every day and eating like, and I love that this, that these two women chose different things, but neither of them are unhappy with their choices. Like they both got what they wanted out of life. And even when, even when Monica does choose the other and tries to be just sort of like going and working at a bank and, you know, maybe trying to settle down or whatever, her mom basically comes to her and says like, this is, this is me and not you. And you mm-hmm. need to go fight for your man and you need to go back to basketball because like that's what you are. And I think that's very touching that you were able to like see the other side. Yeah. Like, and it kind of shows too, especially at the end, like Monica gets to have her career and also have her family. And, and it takes Quincy getting his head out of his ass for the first time in the movie uh, to support Monica. And I would love a sequel like even now to this movie of um, what they're doing now. How are they coping as a family how have they grown into the sport i don't know if that's ever in their plans i would be here for it 100 but yeah it's it is a beautiful aspect of the movie yeah uh lastly before we move on that was another thing i had looked up earlier was this movie is like ripe for a sequel and Mm -hmm. especially in the 2000s where we were sequel crazy um i was shocked that there wasn't a love in basketball too but delighted i guess in a way it keeps it sort of pure I think we can do a 30 years later uh, style thing. Like they were young enough when they started. I would love to see middle-aged Quincy and Monica and see how they're kind of like five second quote unquote stinger is like their daughter playing basketball. So maybe it's like how they're dealing with her playing basketball now. There's definitely some, uh, some meat to chew on there. Yeah. Great pick. Um, I would watch it again. I thought it was very lovely. Mm -hmm. Um, It will be a nice one to put in the like comfort film rotation. I say this about almost every movie we talk about, but it is an incredibly rewarding rewatch um, now that you kind of know how their love story plays out. And it honestly has only gotten better with age. So I'm glad you finally watched it and I'm glad that you can now revisit it. Contrary, I'm not sure how much my movie for you is that much of a rewatch, but it is an excellent first watch. We're getting real sad, but beautiful love. All right, let's take a break. This episode of Blind Spotters is not at all sponsored by Majestic Theaters in Arizona. There's a location in Tempe, Chandler, and Gilbert. There are also locations in other states as well. We here at Blind Spotters always want to support local, but we're giving Majestic a shout out because the beloved local art house theater Film Bar in downtown Phoenix closed down earlier this year. Their film programmer, Andrea, is now over at Majestic for all of your cool cinema needs. Support local theaters and support local businesses. (laughs) 
All right, Zach, let's get into the love story that I chose for you. Definitely a different sort of beat. Let's get into 2005's Brokeback Mountain. Tell me what happened. I thought about doing this uh, with Ennis's accent, but I gave up very early. But (laughs) anyway, Brokeback Mountain, directed by Ang Lee, written by Larry McMurdy and Diana Asana, based on the short story of the same name by Annie Proulx. The movie opens in Wyoming in the early 60s with Cowboys Ennis Del Mar, played by Heath Ledger, and Jack Twist, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, working to herd sheep through the summer on Brokeback Mountain. The two bond while working, and eventually Jack makes a pass at Ennis, and they develop a emotional and physical relationship. After the summer's over, they go their separate ways. Ennis marries his fiance Alma, who is played by Michelle Williams, and Jack moves to Texas, where he eventually meets and marries rodeo rider Laureen Newsom, played by Anne Hathaway. Good God, this cast. Mm -hmm. Both men also have children. So after four years apart, Jack finally visits Ennis and they like immediately start making out and Alma sees them because they're out in the open. They continue to see each other periodically hiding under the guise of fishing trips. Um, And over the course of these visits, Jack wants he and Ennis to build a life together. But Ennis is hesitant because in part because of his children and of stuff he had seen in his youth. Eventually, Alma confronts Ennis about Jack, and the two split up. Because of like co-parenting and child support payments, Ennis isn't able to see Jack often at all, and it becomes less and less, and it comes to a head in an argument, but they reconcile pretty quickly. Later, Ennis receives a postcard back and learns that Jack was killed in an accident with a car tire. Ennis calls Lorene, who tells him Jack wanted his ashes spread at Brokeback Mountain, obviously a sign of their love and how that has gone on so ennis visits jack's parents where where jack's ashes are although he isn't able to obtain the ashes he does discover the shirts that he and jack wore on their final days on brookback mountain together when they were working that summer in 63 and gets to keep them jack's mom kind of like gives him the look and she kind of understands afterward ennis's 19 year old daughter alma jr who was played by kate mara Mm -hmm. visits him and tells him that she's engaged she invites him to the wedding, and Jack accepts. When Alma Jr. leaves, Ennis goes to his closet and reveals the two shirts hanging, kind of in, enwrapped in each other, with a postcard of Brookback Mountain next to them. How'd I do? Good. I mean, there's little things, but that's the plot. Uh, why don't you tell me why you picked this movie? This was a movie I'd always heard about. I mean, we grew up in a very changing time for the LGBT community, and like, I think in our generation is when we stopped using slurs as how to make fun of somebody um (laughs) but this was like often talked about or used as a reference to like indicate somebody of the lgbt community so i had already i had always known about it but i had never seen it and i watched it uh during my big 2020 watch um for the first time and i was really blown away not only by how beautiful the movie is but the nuances and the intricacies and the depth of the love story. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, this is way more than just like gay cowboys. This is like very deep. And I, it's always stuck with me since. And I think it is like a very um, pure and complicated version of love um, Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of people have to deal with. So um, when we talked about love stories, there's a lot of directions we could have gone Um, but I thought this was something that would be a good one to look at, um, in that, in that light. So I wanted you to watch it. Like you said, we grew up, we were in middle school when this movie kind of broke out. So we had a very middle school view Yeah, and 
lens on this movie for mostly terrible reasons because you know parents probably weren't letting us watch it um but i'm glad i watched it now it is like you said it is absolutely gorgeous and it is uh i guess yeah it's an important movie for a multitude of reasons that we'll get into yeah and another reason is i mean we talked about in our best of 2021 episode um about the power of the dog and there were a couple yeah. of scenes of the there were a couple of moments of the scenery that made me reminisce on Brokeback Mountain. And it's funny you that you mentioned both, it because I had the same thought. Yeah, you and I both noted like how much we loved uh sort of those nature shots. And I was like, oh, he'll be he'll be into that. So uh cinematography-wise, outside of like the the acting and the story, like the movie is really beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And then you add everything else in. So I, I had a feeling you would like it um, on top of wanting to talk about it. What were some of your first impressions or like things you've still been thinking about? So obviously the love story is headlined above all things, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, it's such a quiet movie. It doesn't feel slow, but it is a slow movie, if that makes sense. Like, um, And I think a lot of that has to do with Ang Lee. He, he won Best Director. He was the first non-white director um, to win the Oscar for that, which is crazy. Wow. Um, but he had, he has a crazy career arc in his best movies, I think is when he is like shows that restraint and, um, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal in interviews, they had both said that he's very involved in the pre-production process and the rehearsals and stuff. But once they start shooting, he rarely says anything like he, he won't really give them a lot, which kind of drove Jake Gyllenhaal a little mad, like just a little bit, um, which that man just went through it in the 2000s between this and like Zodiac. Um, But it kind of pushed Heath Ledger to like bring more and bring more and to get a reaction out of Ang Lee. I guess his earliest success probably is Sense and Sensibility or that's his like major breakout. And then then like a few movies later, he's doing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is a whole different kind of movie and is beautiful in its own right. And then three years later, he does Hulk, which is not good. (laughs) And then he does Brokeback, like the the range of this man and then and, and now <laughs> yeah and he gets really caught up in the technology of movie making like he made gemini man which also wasn't that great but it's one of those movies that you can see the direction in there like yes there are awesome performances but you can see that the choice is made it, it really just drinks in the the melodrama of this story and i think that's beautiful um and speaking of the scenery like you said the the landscapes i think they shot this in south alberta and not actually wyoming but we talk about pta a lot and obviously that involves there will be blood and there will be blood is notoriously like a silent movie with long takes especially early in the movie and it made me think of that a lot where you're seeing these big landscapes you're seeing these sheep move you're seeing the lightning you know in the background and the fires flickering like shout out to the cinematographer rodrigo prieto i'm sorry if i mispronounced that i'm sure you're not listening to this but um the one shot i do want to shout out is the the firework scene where ennis beats the shit out of this cowboy who's making fun of him and the shot ends with or the scene ends with Ennis in front of these fireworks on July 4th with his cowboy hat on and like it's kind of representative of like here is your American cowboy turns out he's gay or at least queer but he's doing this masculine thing of beating the shit out of someone but his wife is behind him like terrified of him and kind of unpacking the silent cowboy type that Ennis does represent in the movie. Um, and it's like shot upwards. So you're like looking up at him. It's so a hero very pose. Intimidating looking. It's a hero shot. And it's 
potentially the most like terrible thing he's doing in the movie but that was definitely a like hey look here motherfuckers like this is your american cowboy deal with it kind of um or that's the image of the cowboy that we've built up in all these westerns and you know the man with no name and and all the john wayne movies like that restrained character that you've looked at this whole time like this is like what his life might have actually been and like it, it could be also a corny shot like it's like okay we got fireworks in the background it's like it's like walking away from an explosion but that in tandem with all of the other shots that are in this movie and all the 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 contrast of the the super close-ups and 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 the extreme wide shots and and the grounded nature that both kind of capture was awesome i think if the firework scene was even two seconds longer than it was it would have been corny but it's the proper amount of time it's like a quick hold and then we move on we're like mm-hmm. you have just enough time to process like oh i see what's going on and then we like move on it doesn't it's not like and he's so still like yeah during that point and he's sort of just like heavy breathing and you can see like how angry he is there's a lot going on in his head um i mm-hmm. think that you know we're talking about how quiet this movie is i think it's one of the most like internal movies mm-hmm. um that we i've seen in a, a while um and it's not that we ever hear like any sort of inner dialogue, but both Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger are such good actors that you can feel everything that they're feeling, even when they're not saying anything. I think that scene is another really good representation of the internality of this of this film. Yeah. And then you also get the cut to Michelle Williams being horrified, which also yes. helps kind of deconstruct that silent cowboy image. Um, and speaking of Michelle Williams, the other part of this movie that kind of stood out right after the top was this freaking cast. That was my you know, takeaway knew- the first time too. <laughs> yeah, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal, we know that going in. They're on all the posters. I learned only like last year that Anne Hathaway was in this movie. I had no idea Michelle Williams was in this movie. Coincidentally, this is when Heath Ledger and Michelle Williams started dating. They obviously had a child together. David Harbour shows up, which I thought was hilarious when he shows up. I'm like, oh my God, you're here too. Um, when Kate Mara shows up at the end as the daughter. Anna Ferris is in this movie. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Linda Carnellini is in this movie. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so good in terms of like, it has this rock solid cast, but nobody's kind of, no, everybody's in the same movie, even though yeah. this movie takes place over many times, locations, periods the the tone of the performances what we get from each actor it none of it is outstanding in the bad way who is your favorite other performer in this film probably michelle williams but she gets a lot to do like she gets to play like the kind of wet blanket wife or whatever but it's it's such an early performance that's the other thing is all these stars they're about 25 years old when they do this movie which is crazy like Wild. everybody's pretty early even though like you know michelle williams has her career like before this like jake gyllenhaal obviously had a career before this movie um same with Anne hathaway but it was such a movie of like showing hollywood that every single one of these actors could be very serious, especially Heath Ledger. He goes from 10 things I hate about you a couple years later, does a night's tale. And then a few years later, he's in this and me and our friend Maya probably talk too much about accents, but I Heath love Ledger, notably Australian has such a freaking solid, like country cowboy accent. And it, it's like this mumbled out of the side of his face gravel coming out of his throat 
And and Jack Twist says it in one of their earlier scenes when uh, Ennis kind of opens up about his family. He's like, "That's the most you've talked in like two weeks." Yeah, but like, I also love the most I ever talked or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're, and we're already progressing to this. So like, um, the thing that I thought about most since watching is Heath Ledger. Obviously, he passed away a few years after this, um, and everybody touts him as just this talent that like this supreme talent that we lost way too soon. Yeah. Uh, we saw it in The Dark Knight. Probably is his most famous performance. It's such a soulful, grounded performance from him. Like it's so good. Even though it's about this love story, it is more so about Ennis because Jack's pretty comfortable with who he is. Jack is the one driving 14 hours to go see him. And Jack kind of has the life that Ennis can't have in terms of a marriage and a kid and you know this kind of successful business stuff like Ennis is going from job to job because Alma sees him early with Jack like their marriage falls apart so Ennis is really the heartbeat of the story Heath Ledger has to carry it and he does he does and he does it on these like this the broad acting shoulders that he has um he brings this like vibration to the screen whenever it's close in on him like you can see all of the internal anger and the restraint that he has to put into the character as an actor, but also like the character in the story, like, and it comes out in those explosions. Like we talked about with the fireworks scene and with the, with the bar scene. And I think that that is perfectly like their relationship as far as like Jack is the one who's like a touch more comfortable, maybe more in tune with himself um, who has had other um, same sex partners. He, is really pushing um, Ennis to like have a little bit more of a life together, things like that. And I think it's perfectly mm-hmm. summarized in the most famous part of the whole movie, which is their big uh, argument at the end um, where Jack Twist says, I wish I knew how to quit you. Um, and then Ennis says, like, I-, I wish you, I wish you would like mm-hmm. Ennis is clearly like so conflicted and bogged down and confused and, but he can't not love him. Like he mm-hmm. loves Jack so much that he's like all twisted up inside. And he's almost like, I could finally like exhale, like take a breath if if we weren't in love. But unfortunately, I'm so in love with you. And where Jack is like almost like willing to just be in love. Like he wants to have a life with Ennis. And he's like, it would be easier because you don't treat me equally. Like, I wish I could leave you. I wish I could just have a different partner. And he does a little bit toward the end with David Harbour. But like that relationship, I think, is very well summed up in that, that those few lines in that last argument. Yeah. And it's clear that they have chemistry together. And it's clear that they like really do love each other. Like this is a tandem of the other thing that has kind of been in my brain the most since watching it is the love story of it all but even in the beginning when they're working on the on the the sheep herd or whatever um him and jack are basically like a old couple at that point like they're complaining about the commute and complaining about the food and you know talking about life and their stories like complaining about their boss (laughs) yeah complaining about their boss like they're literally just an old married couple in those scenes um they're both great and I think this is just me being biased against Jake Gyllenhaal because we know how Jake Gyllenhaal loves to scream, <laughs> which he which he gets to do in this movie. And he and we probably tend to laud quieter performances a little more than the showier ones, unless they're yeah. done by like Al Pacino. Um, Obviously, like I I have no qualms I, with that. I think that Heath Ledger this is one of his outstanding performances. Um, in, upon rewatch, like 
he really stood out to me again. But I think that as someone who sort of loves the way Jack Twist does of just like, just let yourself be happy and be with me because it makes you happy. And like, I'm willing to be vulnerable. I'm willing to put it all on the line for you because I love you and you're not doing the same for me. And it's really hurtful. And like it, you could be very corny and non-believable in that. Mm -hmm. And I think his frustration with how much he just loves Ennis really comes across. And I don't think that that, would have been done as well or as graceful or as genuine by a lot of other actors. And he even does like he has a relationship with David Harbour. He is going down to Mexico. So he's saying like, you don't understand what it's like for me. I am waiting on you all the time and you're willing, you're skipping months and I'm just waiting for you all the time. And I think that that really comes across in Hall's performance. And he does like, he is goofy. Like he's a, kind of like if you've ever seen like any interview with him where he has like a co-partner um he's always the one like trying to mess people up mm-hmm. and swifty stop listening i get it but also like i i think that he there is like real genuine emotion that comes across in Jalen hall's performance that even though it's not as reserved as heath ledger's feels very um legitimate Honestly, my favorite line reading Jake Gyllenhaal gives is he's like, I can't live on one or two high altitude fucks a year. Yeah. <laughs> which, and he's which is, like, he means that. Yeah. He's like, I am thirsty, my guy. Yeah. Um, which is which fair. Get, They've yeah, been in totally. love for 30 years. You can't do that to me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and, and we can kind of just wrap on Heath Ledger here and, and talk about this, the love story in general. Jake Gyllenhaal, the the kind of the standout moments, or when he gets to do the most, is um, that time he leaves Ennis and he has to drive, like when Ennis tells him that he doesn't have time to hang out this time, and he drives away. And and like the two driving scenes you get, like he's singing along, he's ready to see his man and and get to hang out for the first time in however long. And then when he's driving away, he's just utterly distraught and destroyed and heartbroken. And the dichotomy of those two moments, you like you really understand how in love Jack Twist is with Ennis and yeah. how heartbroken he is that he doesn't get that time like you were saying. I, I love that this story, this melodrama really is like it's it's sad, but it's not a cliche love story. Also this movie is a Thanksgiving movie in my mind now. <laughs> but with the little the TV spat um and and Jack being like this is my house and that kind of gets a smile out of Laureen. Mm-hmm. Um I think the ways that this story kind of explores all of that, like it is really an epic because of the time it it covers, like is one of the more special things about the movie. So you had mentioned Michelle Williams um, is your favorite other performance and, you know, same but different. I think Anne Hathaway is my favorite other performance mm-hmm. and you do get to see um, it's a little bit confirmed when, uh, Lorene is talking to Ennis on the phone about how Jack passed away that she knew like she knew how like how Jack was and just sort of accepted it and moved on and continued her life and like didn't want to break up a marriage and raise her child and yada 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 where like Alma can't live with that and mm-hmm. they divorce and it is like the two sides of like how these two women could have acted and responded and um very appropriate that I think that Alma 
loved Ennis, but I feel like um, Laureen and Jack's relationship was a slightly more transactional. Yeah. Um, and I think that that when she, you know, when it's confirmed that she puts together who, like who Ennis is and, and how Jack was, I think that that scene on the phone where she's silently teary, but is so strong of just like, I knew it like a confirmation and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So I thought that was um, a really strong scene, both on Heath Ledger's side, obviously it's heartbreaking him finding out. And when they talk about like, he wanted his ashes spread at Brokeback Mountain and it flashes to Heath hearing that, like that's crushing. Um, and, and then her getting the confirmation that like his one true love was not Lorene. His one true mm-hmm. love was Ennis. Yeah. Um, and I I think that she really knocks it out of the park as well. Also, part of this love story, man, long distance is so hard. So hard. <laughs> long it distance sucks. relationships are so difficult, especially when you aren't flying and especially whenever you're trying to keep your hidden queerness. Um, <laughs> I imagine that spouses. would be twice as difficult. Yeah, yeah. Really the part that's like particularly devastating is toward the end you know he Ennis goes to visit Jack's parents he sees the shirts he has his breakdown in the closet um and the last shot I think is is particularly like stunning um you know you see that he has switched the shirts it was Jack's shirt on the outside of Ennis's shirt and then Ennis switches the shirts and that was actually Heath Ledger's idea to kind of flip that image um and how this love (laughs) is now back in a closet and it's only in Ennis's heart and Jack is finally in Ennis's home together but obviously not together like it it went from their love being this exterior only in the mountains in the wilderness where they could only find the privacy to Ennis's trailer closet like it's heartbreaking in like seven different ways i think the the two parts toward the end that make it you know just compound the heartbreak is yet the mother, you know, recognizing and putting it together. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also the father, like the father recognizing, like I've always been hearing about NS Del Mar and how my son was going to open a ranch and take over our business. And then all of a sudden it wasn't NS Del Mar. There was another guy here. And I like, he silently says like, I knew who you were this whole, like I know. And he doesn't say like, I never wanted that or get out of my house or don't talk like, there wasn't a negative feedback that maybe Ennis was nervous about that it like could have been in retrospect, potentially a possibility that they could have lived on this ranch together and they could have had a life together and that Jack's parents would have, you know, maybe looked the other way, but it's too late. Like they'll never get that because Ennis wasn't ready or brave enough or however he feels like to take that extra slightly more public stance Mm -hmm. Um, with Jack. And then I think the other part toward the end that really gets me every time is when Ennis is talking with his daughter, Alma Jr. And they're going to get married and they're 19 and they're pretty young. And he asks her, does he love you? And she has like the most just uncontrollable smile. And she's like, yeah, daddy, he like he does. (laughs) And I think that he recognizes that like, he didn't feel that way when he got married and the only person he's felt that way about that he sees his daughter feel that way about the person she's going to marry is Jack mm-hmm. and that he didn't get to marry Jack. He didn't get to have a life with Jack and he decided not to have a life with Jack. 
And I think that's also why he recognizes, like, I have to go to my daughter's wedding because, like, she is – I want to support her having the love I was never ready to accept. Mm-hmm. And that just gets me every single time, <laughs> like, the look on his face. And, you know, he's got those big blue eyes and they just well up so well. And it just is really beautiful. And um, I like the note about – that you had mentioned – their relationship being very um, wide and exterior and then it becoming very internal to a, a man who is very internal. All right. So moving on, what were some of the things you looked up after the movie? Um, let's start with maybe the first. Obviously, I wanted to know about the reception of this movie. Pop culturally, obviously, we talked about how it was became a kind of a punchline in a way, the quote unquote gay cowboy movie. Even the there was an interview with uh, I think Oprah had Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger on her show, and it was like a whole thing of like how Oprah was going to support this movie. But like, if you watch the interview, it's mostly Oprah being like, "How worried were you that this movie would like make you typecast, or this movie would kind of make people think you couldn't be a leading man in Hollywood, or you know, how uncomfortable were the makeout scenes and stuff like that?" And you know, Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger entertain the questions, and they kind of laugh at them because obviously they're two straight men and you know they talk about how it wasn't that hard to make out with each other um apparently Heath Ledger almost broke Jake Gyllenhaal's nose at one point because he was making out with him so hard I don't know how you do that I think uh, another something I noticed this time on the same uh strain was the sex scene is very it's just a full sex scene like it that is the sex scene we would get if it was a man and a woman yeah and in 2005 they very easily could have like alluded to like them starting and then the next morning waking up holding each other and they could have skipped it in the middle but like you just watch them have sex which is like extremely normal but it wasn't at the time for cinema (laughs) for like yeah an oscar movie to just have that and i was i had noted this time i was like wow this like this is legit and goes on for like a legitimate amount of time it, it like kind of swept all the the guilds and the critics awards and all that stuff i got eight nominations at the oscar like i said ang lee won best director it won adaptive screenplay it won the score we haven't even talked about the score um, but that's another thing that kind of sets the scene and then lol crash won best picture <laughs> uh notoriously one of the crazier Horrible. more upsetting worst oscar moments a lot of people saw it as the academy choking um, and not wanting to award movies with a queer love story at the center of it but yeah critically it was really accepted i thought it was interesting i read this interview with um wesley morris in believer magazine and let me make sure i get this right after brokeback mountain had gotten passed over for best picture wesley morris had wrote that um, hollywood kind of preaches tolerance of homosexuals but it didn't actually provide a homosexual to tolerate and so he was the question is wondering whether um movies portrayal of homosexuality has improved at all and wesley morris is basically saying like not really like tv does it better but he doesn't really get why movies don't provide more of those things like he kind of talks about how the tragedy of brokeback mountain is hollywood's like all right we're done we did it we gave the one Um, yeah all the ones i can think of are not really hollywood movies like i was thinking like portrait of a lady on fire that's a french film like the French are a lot more comfortable with sexuality than we are. And and I feel, I mean, uh, I don't know how movie history goes, but I feel like there's a lot more like women love story, like women loving women's stories than two men, um, especially in like the wider movie canon, I guess. 
I would say that the two exceptions to that that have been very well um, accepted have been Call Me By Your Name and Moonlight. Even that was a very small movie. Like Brokeback Mountain made $180 million at the box office. It is interesting to see how you know we've kind of come from there and and in at least American cinema where, where it stands. Um, <laughs> the other thing I looked up is where they filmed. Um, as I mentioned earlier, they filmed in the Canadian Rockies in Southern Alberta. And Angley talked about the production. It was kind of like a summer camp atmosphere. Like they would go fishing in the creek. They would have campfires. Um, they kind of built the kind of camaraderie of, of the cast together, which sounds like a great time, honestly. That does sound nice. The last thing I looked up was just the ages of all the actors. Again, all the main cast was about 25 years old. Um, Anne Hathaway, That's I think, so was young. August. She was like 23 or 24. And they're playing full adults. Like this is also the period of time where actors their age are probably playing like high schoolers still. Yeah. Like, just look at the Spider-Man movies. Toby Maguire is like 30 as a college freshman. But um, yeah, it is crazy that they kind of took that swing and, and um, were able to, to land that plane. I was noticing this last time, like how well they sort of aged these actors to indicate the different points of their life. Um, mm -hmm. Like especially Anne Hathaway and Jake Gyllenhaal look so young when they're first introduced. Yes. And it's like the baby faceness. And then I also was noticing toward the end of the movie, Heath Ledger, like they had put like some gray in his hair um, to indicate that like he had, he had aged. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought it was like a very nice, subtle way to do it. I feel like with everything we have today, it would be, horrifically like aging up and down people technologically and i was like a oh, old school movie making <laughs> yeah <laughs> funny, funny enough the cinematographer for this movie also shot he works with martin scorsese a lot and worked with him on the irishman no why was it so bad then because <laughs> <laughs> they use tech are there any other things that you wanted to know more or questions for me before we wrap up i just wanted to know what your interpretation of Ennis's last line was like when he says Jack I swear like he's staring at the two shirts and it's right after Alma Jr. Also Alma Jr. is a choice of your name. Um, Her teeth look so fake in that scene. You have to go watch it again. I was it was like I, something I couldn't stop looking at <laughs> this last time I watched it. I was like why does she look like she's wearing dentures? I was also confused like Kate Morrow plays a 15 year old and then a 19 year old and I'm like I don't actually know how old you are in this movie. Yeah um, I have no idea. <laughs> Anyway, the last line um, when Heath Ledger says, Jack, I swear, um, what did you take that as? Was he just like, I'm not going to love anybody else? Is that like, I think it's I don't know. the like, like, I don't know. Like you were the one, you were the, you were the one, like, I swear I always loved you this way. Maybe, um, yeah, it does sort of just kind of end maybe that scene would have been better silent and just him looking at the the shirts and the postcard and the tears in his eyes and then he closes the door and then he's back in the closet and then we end the movie i'm not really sure but uh did what was your interpretation i i, I mean i first of all i just liked it in terms of like he's he can say it almost yeah like he can he can it's still too painful or it's still too internal to like fully get out there. But the way he kind of just squeaks out the line. Um, I mean, I do think it's just like saying that he'll never love anybody else or that he is the one. And, and even though his daughters and 
his ex-wife are probably going to be saying like, you should be with someone you should, you know, we are scared about you being alone all the time and all that stuff. Like I do think it's just him promising Jack that he'll always be him. Like he'll always be Jack's. His heart is always Jack's and Jack's is always going to be Ennis's. I think basically that's what that is. I just, I I really like the ending because it is, it, it gives you a little bit, but not, everything because Ennis never could really give you everything you wanted outwardly. He would do it in his actions. Yeah. I do think it's very sweet that he talks to Jack. Like that's also what it like indicated to me is that like he's alone in this trailer and probably is like, oh, Jack had such a, today was what the sheep or whatever. Like he would. It, it, it's like Rocky with uh, Adrian at the tombstone. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That like maybe he often would do that as if he's like having his life with him. Did you enjoy it? Would you watch it again? It It's a very completed movie. So it's not as rewarding as a rewatch, but is it something you maybe would, would view a second time? I might. It's so sad. I mean, granted, you know me. I'm not one to shy away from sad things constantly. Um, just look at my music history. Uh, but it's a beautiful movie with great performances. I'm not sure it's like going to be like top of my rewatch list. But I won't be mad if someone's like, let's watch Brokeback Mountain. I'll kind of ask them what's going on in their life. But uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would watch it again. Yeah. I dropped it in our outline, but it does like perfectly remind me of the Jason Schwartzman clip where it says the reason I love this film is that it's really depressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about earlier how I was thinking about firing up Power of the Dog up again just because it's like beautiful to look at. And if I maybe want a more tender version of that landscape, I can tune into Brokeback Mountain instead. Um, so I don't have to watch Chris and Dunst having like a mental breakdown. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that was our two our two love stories for you guys. Uh I you know, there's a happier movie, there's a sadder movie. There's they're both very uh I think two realistic interpretations of love. Um I hope you guys enjoy your Valentine's month. Uh mm-hmm. which movie out of the two, Zach, did you like the most? Oh, it's love and basketball. I mean, it's unassailable. It's a very important movie to me and to everyone else, and it's it it ends happily. So obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna trend toward that. How about you? I mean, Brokeback Mountain is an extremely important movie to me. I think it really like I like one of our favorite podcasters just want to feel something because it's rare. So <laughs> this movie like really brought brings out a lot of emotion in me. But I think that like. Love and basketball is a better hang. So I'll I'll give it that. I'll say love and basketball for the, the sake of it. Um, do you want to tell people about our next movies? Uh, yes. That we're talking so about? in the month of March, it is my birthday, but it is also International Women's Day. So we're doing some cool girl movies. We got some cool girls doing some cool shit. So Zach will be watching the David Fincher classic Gone Girl, and I will be watching a classic Bonnie and Clyde. Very excited to see it. I'm sure you know a lot about Gone Girl just based on the rhetoric of culture, but what do you know about the next movie? So I unfortunately know the twist of Gone Girl. Um, It's kind of impossible to not know it at this point um, as a person who's extremely online and too online. But I know it's a Fincher movie. I know Ben Affleck's in it and Rosamund Pike. I think Neil Patrick Harris shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a deconstruction of Ben Affleck's life. Maybe I don't, I, I know a lot about it going in, so I, it'll be interesting to watch knowing the twist. Yeah. 
What do you know about Bonnie and Clyde? So I know not that much about the movie. I know Faye Dunaway's in it. Um, but I know a lot about Bonnie and Clyde the people <laughs> and like the true crime story of them. Also, my first cats were named Bonnie and Clyde. That's uh, a fun fact about Amanda. Um, but I'm excited to – this is like a much-needed push to watch this movie. So I'm excited to watch it. Um, what else is on your watch list aside from Gone Girl? My watch list. I have just a couple of 2021 movies that I'm catching up on, Bergman Island and The Lost Daughter. So I'll keep updating my uh, my list on medium.com. So stay tuned to that. And shout out then Olivia I'll, Coleman. Shout out Olivia Coleman and shout out Vicky Creeps. Creeps? Creeps. Um, and then last one, I'm uh, as I dive into the Criterion channel more, all about Eve, I got to knock that one out. So I'm going to have a good time with that. What about you? What's on your watch list? Nice. So I haven't gotten to the tragedy of Macbeth yet. So I definitely want to make some time for that soon. Um, Gravity just got put on HBO Max and I've never seen it. Oh, um, same. So I would like to hit that one up. There was like a series of like three, maybe four like important <laughs> actor goes to space movies that like all yes. came out at the same time. And I just mentally rejected all of them. So I haven't seen like any of them really. One Cam Neely loves Gravity, right? That's all I know about that one. But uh, what else is on your list? Um, and then The Fugitive, uh, yes. Harrison Ford, has been on my list for a long time. It's been in my queue, uh, but I just got the alert from HBO Max, so it's leaving at the end of January. So I need to – now's my time. I need to hunker down. I think the fact that HBO Max has a section at the bottom that tells me what's leaving at the end of January, really at the end of each month, it's like an excellent push to keep – movies off like to get movies out of my queue and i think all streaming services should implement that (laughs) i agree encourage me all right so thank you guys for listening you can always find a new episode of blind spotters podcast on the second tuesday of the month um i believe let me look at a calendar but i believe the second tuesday of march is my birthday oh really it's like that that's a they must have an early oh you're right wow yes you guys have to listen to the cool girls episode yeah so you actually do get to listen to the cool girls episode on international women's day if you listen to it the day it comes out so that is cool as hell um you can follow the podcast on instagram at blind spotters pod we're throwing up some polls in the stories every so often that's been a lot of fun um, and we're also on Twitter at Blind Spotters. We have an excellent announcement that you can now find Blind Spotters on most streaming platforms, which rules. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're out there, man. So there's no excuse. Um, Zach, where can people find you on uh, social media? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Zach Pockleb. And as always, you can follow me on Letterboxd. And again, I'll uh, shout out the post I have on Medium where I rank my favorite movies of 2021 that I'll keep updating because I need people to let people watch their movies. Anyway. <laughs> Are you going to count like movies like the uh, most important person in the world or the worst person in the world? Like, is is that technically a 2021 movie or a 2022 movie? It's 21. I go by the Oscar cycle. So that's why like if Judas and the Black Messiah counted as a 2021 movie because it did get released in 2021, I would have been near the top of my list. But okay. because of the weird Oscars window and all the pushbacks and everything, I just go by what there's considered in their their cycle. So Worst Person in the World, Souvenir <laughs> Part 2, um, movies that haven't been like 
widely released in places other than LA, New York. Uh, I'm counting as as 2021 releases. It's really good. I'm sorry I've seen it. Um, and then you can, <laughs> you can follow me on socials at Amanda Liberto if you'd love to send me any sort of compliments. Hopefully uh, we hear from you on Instagram and Twitter. Send us your favorite movies as we get closer to the Oscars. I know I think they're in April, but... We might do I'm, a little Oscars episode. I'm failing at this. Can you help me end this podcast? <laughs> If you guys have uh, arguments you want to make about Oscars movies, send to us. If you have movies that you're wondering if we've watched, send them to us. We're starting to like kind of make our way through a lot of lists, so uh, we need we need all that content. Um, keep listening to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review us. Subscribe. Oh yeah, now you can us. rate, review, and subscribe. That's fun. Five stars only. If you're a four star, you are a hater. Yeah, absolutely. If you have a four star, honestly, just DM me and tell me what I can do differently. I am an overachiever. Uh, yeah, and if you have any complaints about me, also message Amanda because I don't deal with criticism well. <laughs> we need to get out of here, dude. Yeah, all right. Thank you guys so much. We will see you on March 8th, the beloved. Hey, double or nothing. <laughs> Bye. Bye.